God's grace, mercy, and his peace to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, dear friends in Christ, in prepping for this message, I dug through some of my old ones for Monday, Thursday. And the introduction to the one I gave in 2009 really caught my attention. I think you'll understand why. I began with this story. Sorry, the author is unknown. Parts of it are outdated, but stick with it because maybe it's not. It is a Wednesday night, and you're at church for a Bible study when somebody runs in from the parking lot, and they're yelling something about an outbreak, an emergency. A television on a cart is rolled in. The computers are warmed up. People are on their phone trying to find out more. It feels like it did on 9-11. Breaking news. Scores of people are lying in a Long Island hospital, dying from a mystery flu. Within hours, it seems, this thing just sweeps across the country. People are working around the clock to try to find an antidote, but nothing is working. In the days to come, California, Oregon, Arizona, Florida, Massachusetts, all report death tolls from this mystery virus. It's as though it's just sweeping in from the borders. And then, all of a sudden, more news comes out. The code has been broken. A cure has been found. A vaccine could be made. It's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected. And so, sure enough, all throughout the Midwest, through those channels of emergency broadcasting, everyone is asked to do this one thing. Go to your nearest hospital and have your blood type taken. That's all we ask of you. When you hear the sirens go off in your neighborhood, please make your way quickly, quietly, and safely to the hospitals. Sure enough, when you and your family get down there late on that Friday night, there is a long line. And they've got doctors and nurses coming out and pricking fingers and taking blood and putting labels on it. Your spouse and your kids are there, and they take your blood type, and they instruct you to wait in the parking lot, and if we call your name, you can be dismissed and go home. Stand around, scared, with your neighbors, feeling like you're in some science fiction movie and wondering if this is the end of the world. Suddenly, a young man comes running out of the hospital, screaming. He's yelling a name and waving a clipboard. What? He yells it again. And your son tugs on your jacket, and he says, that's me. Before you know it, they've grabbed your boy. Wait a minute, hold on. And they say, it's okay, his blood is clean, his blood is pure. We want to make sure he doesn't have the disease. We think he has the right type. Five tenths minutes later, out come the doctors and the nurses, crying, or hugging one another. Some are even laughing. 
It's the first time you've seen anybody laugh in a week. And an old doctor walks up to you and says, thank you. Your son's blood is perfect. It is clean. It is pure. And we can make the vaccine. As the word begins to spread all across the parking lot, people are screaming and praying and laughing and crying. And then the gray-haired doctor pulls you and your spouse aside and says, may I speak with you a moment? We didn't realize that the donor would be a minor, and so we need, we need you to sign a consent form. You begin to sign, and then you see that the number of pints of blood to be taken has been left blank. Uh, how many pints, you ask? And that's when the old doctor's smile fades, and he says, we had no idea that it would be a little child. We weren't prepared. I'm very sorry. We need all of it. But, but you don't understand. Sir, we are talking about the whole world here. We need it all. But can't you give him a transfusion? I'm sorry, but if we had clean blood, we would. But can you? Will you sign? In numb silence, you do. Then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? Can you? Can you walk back? Can you go back to that room where he sits on a table asking, Dad? Mom? What, what's going on? Can you take his hand and say, I love you, and your dad and your mom would never let anything happen to you that didn't just have to be. Do you understand that? You don't know what to say. You don't have the words, and so you pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And it's here when the old doctor re-enters the room and says, I'm sorry, but the clock is ticking. We've got to get started. People all over the world are dying. Can you leave? Can you walk out while he's saying, Dad? Mom? Dad? Help me. Why are you leaving me? That is a sobering story. I don't even like the idea of it, honestly. It is somber, it is gut-wrenching, and it is painful. It's dark. But that's the story that comes about as close as we can to getting there. Because it at least touches on some of the emotions, the fear, the abandonment, necessity, and the heartbreak surrounding Monday, Thursday, and the things to come. Would you like a moment with him before they begin? Yes. 
That's what this night is all about. Taking a moment to take it all in. Sobering, dark moments tonight for sure. But in those dark moments, we shall see that light still shines. Tonight, we put ourselves in the moment as we go back to the upper room. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come for him to give his blood for the sake of the world. He was well aware of what was about to take place. It was all part of the plan. The disciple John wrote this, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Author Max Lucado offers this description. It had been a long day. Jerusalem is packed with Passover guests. The spring sun is warm. The streets are dry. And the disciples are a long way from home. Tired and sore feet. A splash of cool water would sure feel good. The disciples enter one by one. They take their place around the table. On the wall hangs a towel, and on the floor sits a pitcher and a basin. Any one of the disciples could volunteer for the job, but no one does. After a few moments, Jesus stands and removes his outer clothing. He wraps the towel around his waist, takes up the large bowl, and he kneels down before one of the disciples. He unlaces a sandal and gently lifts a foot and places it in the basin, covers it with water, and begins to wash. His light shines in the darkness. One by one, one grimy foot after another, Jesus works his way down the row. The Lord of heaven and earth sets aside his own garments and puts on the clothes of the humblest of slaves. Such humility that the one who is called teacher and Lord should be on the floor washing the feet of those who will run away from him. Oh, you can be sure that Jesus knows the future of those feet that he's washing. Feet that will run for the dark. Feet that will dash for cover. Feet that will lead others to his arrest. Feet formed by a fire as he is denied three times. He washes their feet. Ah, they don't understand. Jesus has just a short time left with them, just a moment before they begin. And the disciples are missing the moment. Jesus told them, you do not yet realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. After Jesus had finished washing their feet, they began to eat the Passover meal. It was a good time to be with Jesus, sharing this special meal, remembering how God had saved his people from slavery in Egypt. They recalled the events of the past, and I imagine that they recalled their own stories too, and all that Jesus has done for his people the past three years. Those were some great moments, huh, Jesus? It was an enjoyable time. It was a light time. And then... All of a sudden, the mood shifts. Jesus interrupts with some heavy words. 
I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. It's starting to get a little dark in here. And the disciples miss this moment too. They're more concerned about who is going to betray Jesus than the fact that he's going to be betrayed. They're all thinking about themselves. Is it I? Surely it's not me. They clarify emphatically. They go around the table. It's not me. I would never do that. It's not me. Yes, it is you. Each of you will abandon. All of you will run. The sheep will scatter. Peter, you'll deny me three times. Judas, you will betray me. For, for what? Money? Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born at all. Talk about a dark moment. Such is the darkness of sin. It can be painfully dark, awkwardly dark. But Jesus will not ignore the darkness. No, he won't miss the moment to shine light on the truth. Jesus will not tolerate sin, their sin, your sin. No matter how dark, he'll go there. As the Passover meal is nearing its end, Jesus gives the disciples something new, a new covenant, a new promise. Not like the old ways which involve countless sacrificial lambs. This new meal he gives is his own body and blood. The spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world once and for all. Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Take a drink. This is the cup of the new covenant. It is the cup of my blood which I have prepared for you. Drink from this cup. It is filled with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's filled with all of my goodness. Drink it. It's for you. Take and drink. This is my cup, and it's filled with my righteousness and holiness. It's filled with faith and joy and peace. It is the cup of salvation. Take and drink it down for the forgiveness of your sins, all of my goodness for you. Take and drink from my cup, given and shed for you. Jesus offers light in the darkness. After the meal was finished, they sang a hymn together and then went out to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. It sure is dark here in Gethsemane. The disciples wait in the distance as Jesus turns to his Father to have a moment before they begin. The clock is ticking. He's got to get started. People all over the world are dying and so he prays. He agonizes. He is sorrowful, overwhelmed. It's here that 
opening scene from the movie, The Passion of the Christ, always comes to mind. A chilling scene. There's something scary about the dark. In that scene, in the garden, slinks out of the shadows the prince of darkness. Satan tempts. Do you really think one man can bear the weight of the sin of the whole world? No, never. It's a dark scene. Jesus and he alone will have to absorb the darkness of the world. He and he alone will have to carry the weight of the world's sin. He and he alone will bear the full wrath of God for that sin. And that is a frightening thought. It is a dark thought to take on that kind of punishment. He will drink from a cup that's not his own. It's sin's cup. It's the world's cup. It's the disciples' cup. It's our cup. We're the wrongful owners of that cup. It's the dark cup of death. It's a cup of hell. He prays, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And God, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the disciples, for your sake and my sake, has to make a choice to save his son or to save the world. We know. We know. The Father will give his son's life away. He will take that heartbreaking walk. And he leaves his son to take it alone. Dad, help me. Why are you leaving me? Jesus was experiencing something he had never experienced before. He'd start to feel the separation beginning to take place between he and his father. Help me, Dad. Jesus looked into that cup that he was about to swallow, and all he could see is sin and suffering and sacrifice and separation. And he prays, Abba. Father, your will be done. Amazing what light shines in the darkness. How great is this love tonight. The father would hand over his child. The son would be obedient to death. He would surrender his life. Jesus is no unsuspecting child caught unaware. No. He's all man. Willingly, intentionally, purposely submitting to the will of the Father in order to save the world. He gives his own consent. 
What passion is taking place between the two? How great is this love? How incredible is this moment? Both hearts are breaking. Both father and son crying. It is intense and it is powerful and spiritual. And all this is going on and all the passion and the tension and the wrestle and the heartbreak and all the while. Disciples are sleeping. They're missing the moment. Out from the night shadows comes the crowd. Out from the darkness comes one of his own in betrayal. Satan seems to be taking control now. Luke's gospel quotes Jesus by verifying that this is the hour when darkness reigns. Yes, it's getting even darker. The kiss, the crowd, swords and clubs, men blinded by darkness. All were turned against him. Peter, James, John take off. Matthew, Andrew, Philip, they ditch him. Jewish leaders, temple police, Roman soldiers, it's all against one. And before it will be over, the moment's going to get darker still on a cross, forsaken by all. Even his father. Tomorrow is the darkest day in history. At noon, the whole country for three hours will be covered in darkness. And about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus will cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By the time Jesus Screams these words, you all have hung on the cross for six hours. And of course it's dark. They're killing the light of the world. And with his hands nailed open, he invites his father to do to me as they deserve. And God does. In an act that breaks the heart of the father, yet honors the holiness of heaven, God leaves the son to suffer in the dark alone, so that you'll never, so that you will never have that dark moment, so that you'll never be forsaken, so that you'll never have to feel the wrath of God, so that you'll never be abandoned by him, so that you'll never taste death, so that you'll never have to drink that cup. Rather, take his cup, the new covenant, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. It is the cup of life, and it is given for you. How great is this love? Don't miss the moment. Join us tomorrow night, 7 p.m. on Good Friday. It is a staggering story. We give him our sin and he gives us 
the life-saving vaccine of his blood, his holy, precious blood. And oh, how we need all of it.